The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'm going to preach a message entitled, Three Abiding Gifts. And we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So if you would please stand with me and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we'll read the entire chapter. It's only 13 verses. So uh, if you'll read along silently, I'll read out loud. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, And though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass, darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. But then shall I know, even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three. But the greatest of these is charity. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning humbly. And Lord, we seek your wisdom today. We seek your knowledge. So... As we gather in this place, we submit ourselves to your Holy Spirit and we ask that you would teach us and that you would instruct us from your word, that you would strengthen us, that we might grow to be more like Christ every day. Be with our pastor and and Pam this morning as as they deal with the the complications in their life. And Lord, uh, give them the peace and comfort that can come only from you. Strengthen them. Help them to know, Lord, that they are part of your family. And as a part of your family, we love them and we serve them. So be with us all now, we pray in 
May you be glorified in all that will be done and said today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Three abiding gifts. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, we need to distribute the study sheets. Thank you, ushers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul discusses the spiritual gifts. From his writings, there seems to be much confusion in the church at Corinth about these gifts. There were those who lacked the most prominent gifts. And therefore, they were discouraged. Thinking that they had failed in some way. But then there were others who were filled with pride and arrogance because of the gifts they did display. And they looked down upon the others within the church. I've witnessed this very thing in many Baptist churches across this nation. The idea that one is more spiritual than another because they can wear their hair a certain way. Because they dress a certain way. Or because they can perform certain tasks in the church. This philosophy reeks of pride and arrogance and self-promotion. And it is condemned in scripture. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 in verse 12, Paul writes, For we dare not. Make ourselves of the number. Or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. What Paul is saying there is we don't determine our spirituality by another Christian. I mean, I don't, I don't look over at Brother Tabor, wherever he is. He's not even in the preaching. I don't know what he is. I don't look over at Brother Tabor and say, well, I'm not, I'm not so bad. See, we, we're not to compare ourselves among ourselves and measure ourselves by ourselves. We're to compare ourselves and measure ourselves by the perfect standard. That is Jesus Christ, the Lord. And if I compare myself to Jesus, I come so far short... It's not even worth discussing. Who do we think we are? What gives us the right to boast of anything? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10, Paul, Paul the apostle, the, probably one of the greatest Christians ever to walk the earth. Paul states... But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. We got nothing to boast of today, do we? Uh, Brother Gary, can, he, can, he can lead singing. He can direct the choir. By the grace of God, he can do that. Bob and 
and Steve, they can keep the sound working. But by the grace of God, they can do that. Now, Jason can't keep the PowerPoint working. I don't know what his problem is. <laughs> no. But we have nothing to boast about. Nothing at all. Because it's by God's grace. It's by God's grace that we do anything. Now, please understand, I do not intend to minimize the importance of spiritual gifts. Paul stated in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that these gifts are given uh, by God the Father through the indwelling Holy Spirit. They are given according to his will and according to his pleasure. He gives them to whomsoever he will. And they are for the work of the ministry. However, these spiritual gifts are not to be mistaken as callings from God. And they are not to be coveted after. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 29, Paul writes, Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet show you, show I unto you a more excellent way. He said to covet the best gifts. Now, he's not saying that we should covet gifts. If someone can sing beautifully, we shouldn't be jealous and shouldn't covet that gift. We should be thankful to God for the gift that he has given that one individual. If, if one can teach, we shouldn't sit with, with, with jealousy and, and with slander and, and, and think ill of that person because they can do something that I cannot do. I should be thankful. And I should, I should desire, I should covet the three gifts I'm going to talk about today because these are the abiding gifts that are given to every believer. So we, we must be careful. You see, the Corinthians coveted the gifts. Not so that they could better serve God, but rather so they might be lifted up in pride. These gifts are, as they simply imply, various talents or skills given to the several members of the body to accomplish the work of the church. Do you remember... <laughs> I don't, I don't want to take time to turn to it, but do you remember in the book of Exodus when, when Israel uh, was, in, was in the wilderness wanderings and God gifted certain men to be able to build the furniture necessary for the temple? Do you remember that? He gave these men these skills. He didn't give skills to everyone, did he? But to these few. So within our church body, God will give some people certain skills or certain talents that they might perform the work of the ministry. But these are not to be coveted. They are not to be, you're not to, we're not to get jealous over them or envious over them. In my body this morning are billions of cells. Now there's probably a few billion more in mine than some of you, but, but there are billions of cells in my body this morning. Skin cells, nerve cells, 
tissue cells, organ cells, brain cells. Some might argue that point that I have brain cells, but I do. I have red blood cells. I have white blood cells. I have antibodies to fight disease. I even have various forms of bacteria in my body to aid in the digestion of food. And each of these cells is separate and fulfills separate functions in my body. Yet every one of them works in unison with the other. There are no schisms among them. When we develop schisms in our body, that's called cancer. And it's fatal to the body, right? I'd like for you to look. You should be at 1 Corinthians 13. Just back up. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we'll begin in verse 14. We read here, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the the smelling? But now have God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And you can read on, Paul further explains all this, but I said earlier that these gifts are not to be confused with the calling of God. I say that because of the statement made by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 8, where he says, Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. The skills and our talents we receive from God may and will cease. They will vanish away. I used to, years ago, I I worked with the youth. I was the youth director. And I enjoyed that. But Father Time caught up with me. Age caught up with me. And at a certain point, guess what? I could not chase these teenagers around anymore. We had to look for a younger person to take over. You see, that was, that was a talent, that was a skill God gave me that went away with time. Uh, I enjoy singing. Now, I don't like, I don't like to, I don't, I don't covet song leading, and I'm so happy we have young men who are coming up taking over the song leading. But Brother Gary can testify, at one point I had the full range. I could sing, I could sing from bass all the way up to first tenor. But now my range is shrunk. I don't have that same skill anymore because of time and age. And, and, and you can all testify the same thing. You used to be able to do things you can't do anymore. So these are not callings because the callings from God are without repentance and they don't fail. These are not callings, they're gifts. They're given to us to use, not for our own 
uh, edification or glorification, but to glorify the Father in His work. But they do fail, and this is because they are tools, not divine graces. Remember, the divine graces are referred to as the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, we read, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. These are the graces of God. The divine graces given to us upon our salvation. Here we... We see the true graces given to us by the Holy Spirit. And these are without repentance. They never fail. They are abiding. Now this brings me to the subject of my message this morning. The abiding gifts. We read a moment ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13. And now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three. But the greatest of these... Paul says, is charity. These three gifts are unique to the elect saints of God. They are not such as is common among all men. They are peculiar to God's people. Now, gifts are talents and skills common to unsaved men. However, the graces of the Holy Spirit are very peculiar to God's people. Paul draws special attention to these three very specific graces that every believer receives as a gift from God. So I want to review those for just a brief few moments and we'll be done. So the first abiding gift is this, faith. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, Paul writes, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Did you see that? It said according as God has dealt to to man. God gives us our faith. We We don't develop faith from our own earthly and worldly experiences. We have faith that was given to us as a gift from God. And without that, you will have no faith. Now I must begin by acknowledging that the world does claim to express faith. However, the faith faith expressed by the world is arbitrary faith. Arbitrary faith is one that is based on random choice or personal experiences rather than any reason or system. It is empty faith. It's a mere statement. It lacks any substance and merely offers an empty, vain expression in an unfounded concept. (laughs) Excuse me. It is a mere consent to truth, but without belief or substance. Unregenerate man may have the arbitrary faith and may even feign belief for a while. But this faith will never abide. It will fail. The faith which is peculiar to God's elect is a fruit and effect of electing grace. And for that reason, it abides. It is a tangible faith. 
It is a substantial faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Our faith has substance. It's real. It's tangible. We can touch it. I have faith today in God that cannot be shaken. That cannot be taken away. Because it abides within. I'm not simply acknowledging some fact I read in a book. I have the Holy Spirit in me. Giving me the evidences of things that are not seen. I see heaven in my eyes through the grace given to me by the Holy Spirit. Have you ever just sat at home and, and closed your eyes maybe and just visioned and viewed the, the streets of gold? Yeah, we have that. We have that in our, in, our, in our minds and hearts because of the indwelling Holy Spirit. It's a real faith. It's tangible. That's why unregenerate man changes direction every so often. Because he doesn't have a real faith. His faith is blown about by the wind. It's not grounded, it's not solid, such as the people of God have. Faith is the gift of God. It is given without repentance, and it does not fade away. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. It is the work of God and the operation of his spirit and is therefore performed with power in the life of his children. It is the grace by which a soul sees and hears Jesus Christ and comes to him. It lays hold on him. It, it, it lives in him. This faith lives in us. As long as I have life, I'll have faith. And by the way, I have eternal life. So I have eternal faith. And if you're a child of God this morning, so do you. It is this abiding faith that produces victory in our daily lives. 1 John 5, 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world. Even our faith. It is our faith that gives us victory in our daily life. It is our faith that picks us up when we're down. It is our faith that gives us the courage and the strength to go forward and do the things that we ought to do. I've overcome disappointment in my life so many times. Disappointment, heartache, discouragement. But not by my wisdom or by my power, but by the abiding faith that God has given me. A faith that is undying and will not fade away. I've had some dark times, as all of you have. And in those dark times, I'm reminded by my faith that God will never leave me nor forsake me. He is with me, and he knows the end of my path. That gives me comfort. By the way, 
that, path, that pathway might end in death. It might. But if it does, I know what's on the other side. I know what's waiting for me. That gives me courage. That gives me joy. Gives me the strength of faith. Face whatever I have to face. So first we have faith. But secondly, I want us to consider hope. Not only do we have faith as as an abiding gift, but we also have hope. Now, again, as with faith, the world lives by an unfounded, unsubstantiated hope. When I witness to people and ask them if heaven is their home, they usually respond, well, I hope so. I hope so. But this type of hope is based upon a desire, a wish. But it has no real expectations or assurance. If someone pointed a gun at you and said, is this gun empty? You're going to say, I hope so. If, unless I'm sure, I'm not going to stand in front of that gun. But if I know it's empty, I, yeah, go ahead. That's not the greatest of illustrations, but so you forgive me. You forgive me for that one. If you can come up with a better one, let me know. I, I, I'll use it from now on. But we have a real hope. We have a hope that's based upon expectation and assurance. When we as God's elect children speak, speak of hope, we're not really hoping at all. Our hope is founded. It is anchored in Jesus Christ. Therefore, it's a steadfast and sure and is not hope at all. It's a reality. John chapter 14 and verses 1 through 4. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. You see, my hope this morning is expectation. Because Jesus told me he's preparing me a home in heaven. And he told me that where he builds my home, he will come and receive me and bring me to that home. So when I say I have a hope, it's not a hope at all. It's a reality. It's an expectation. I expect to awaken heaven. I expect to live in the presence of God for all eternity. I am sure of this. I am confident in this. The real difference is hope, unfounded and uncertain, is doomed to fail. But Paul's hope was not hope at all. It was expectation. And it was based upon his confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. And we're going to read verses 17 through 20. Just three verses. Hebrews chapter 6. So we read from Hebrews chapter 6 beginning in verse 17. Wherein God... 
willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Did you see that in verse 19? He says, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Hope as is faith is a gift of God's grace. Our confidence uh, is implanted in regeneration. And has, and has God the Father and Christ the Son as its object or its, its ground and foundation to build upon. It is confidence and assurance of things unseen. Things yet to be gained, difficult to understand, yet possible to be enjoyed. This is why Paul said concerning these things in, in chapter 12, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 13, verse 12, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. We, we, we look at heaven, we look at eternal life through a, through a stained glass, if you will. Uh, we have a hope of, of what we shall have. We don't see it clearly yet, but we know it's there. He could say this because the hope in him was real and abiding. Our hope is, is abiding and it, it bolsters our faith. And with these two abiding gifts, we learn to trust God and not lean upon our flesh. Proverbs chapter 3 and verses 5 and 6, Solomon admonishes us, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. This is what gave Paul the confidence to make a bold statement in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, where he states, For the which cause I also suffer these things, Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. There's no doubt in the hope Paul had. An abiding hope that does not fail or fade away. We have abiding faith and abiding hope. But Paul saved the best for last. He stated in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13, but the greatest of these, in other words, the greatest of the three, faith, hope, the greatest of the three was charity. Number three, charity. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, we read, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Again, as with faith and hope, the world offers its own interpretation of love. But the world's love is in stark contrast to that of God. See, only a child of God can love as only God can love. The world's love is fleeting. It fades away. But God's children have a love that abides. A love for the brethren. 
We love one another because God first loved us. God's love is abiding. It will never fade. It will never fail. We're given a view into the love of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, where Paul states, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. We hear these verses read in practically every wedding we attend, but do they really have any meaning to us when we hear them? Do we actually stop and think about this is Paul's expression of God's love for us? It's a beautiful love, isn't it? You read chapter 13, it's such a beautiful picture of what love truly is. And we just glaze right over it. But it's an, it's, it's, it's an expression of God's love for his children. Now the kind of love we're talking about here is so incomprehensible to the unsaved man that it makes no sense to him. But I'm sorry to say that many who claim to be God's children also have no comprehension of what Paul is talking about here. I don't have time to turn to it, but in John chapter 14, verse well, let's turn to it. John chapter 14, it won't take us that long. I can't say I don't have time to turn to the word of God. Amen. I did hope to get you out of here early today. But it's it's Brother Gary's fault because he sang that extra song. and We we got a late start. John chapter 14, starting at verse 15. Now listen to what Jesus says. This this is just, this will change your life if if you absorb what he's telling us. If ye love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye shall see me, because I live. Ye shall live also, and that at that day ye shall know that I am I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Isn't that wonderful? The love of God lives in us. It lives in us in the person of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit wants to wants to instruct us and teach us how to love, how to love. As God loved. Listen, don't, don't come to me and tell me how much you love God today. You don't, you don't need to do that. Because it's easy to say I love you. Isn't it? Everybody, I want, I want each one of you, look at somebody next to you right now and say I love you. Now wasn't that easy? That was so easy, wasn't it? Yeah, I love you. Bye, I love you. See you later, I love you. Don't, don't, don't tell me. Don't tell me you love God. Don't do that. 
Show me that you love God. Show me that you love God. When I was a kid, I would sometimes mess up. Actually, I would often mess up. And I would go to Dad and I'd say, Dad, I'm sorry. I won't do it again. And Dad would say, Son, don't tell me you're sorry. Show me you're sorry. Don't tell me you love God today. Show me that you love God. And we show that we love God by obeying his commandments. So if you're you're not living in obedience to God, then don't come tell me that you love him. Because it doesn't work that way. Not by looking for loopholes to justify our disobedience, by the way. Don't tell me you love God if you are living in unrepentant sin. We miss church, we rob God, we drink, we smoke, we embrace the world, yet we claim to love God. Try that with your spouse today. How many of you here are married? Raise your hand. Be proud, don't be afraid. Raise your hand. Yeah, I'm married, yeah. Try that. What if I tried that with my wife? Hmm? How do you think my wife would feel if I never came home? If I spent all my money on other women? If I indulged myself in every fleshly desire? But then I came home and said, I love you. You think she would believe that? Hmm? Would you believe me if I said I love my wife and I acted that way? Well, then why should I believe you when you say you love God and you're disobeying? I show my love to my wife by my dedication to her, by caring for her, by, by being there for her, by, by providing for her needs. And today you and I should show our love to God by our dedication to him. We're known, by the way, by our doings. Proverbs 20.11, even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure and whether he be right. Everybody understands that verse. You ever, you ever see a kid, you look at him and say, boy, that's a bad kid. That's a rotten kid. Uh, come on now, you've all done that. I guarantee you, you've all done that. And you've also seen kids where you say, well, that's such a good, that's such a good little boy. Such a good little girl. Why? Because we... We, we look at how they behave. You see, your behavior is, a, is the outer manifestation of what you are inside. You see, Christians erroneously try to make themselves look spiritual by dressing up all nice and neat. Jesus said, you're like white as sepulchers. Outwardly you appear beautiful, but inside you're full of dead man's bones. Don't, don't, don't powder up and spruce up and come to church and say, I love God, and then go home and, and, and disobey him all week long. Doesn't work that way. Our life is the greatest evidence of our heart and our love. And the love of God that dwells in us richly is an abiding gift. It'll never fail. Romans eight thirty seven. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus 
our Lord. Now let me ask you this. What would it take for you to stop loving God? What would it take for you to disobey him? What would it take for you or for me this morning? To disobey the Lord and thereby not show our love for him. Faith, hope, charity. These are the three chief and leading graces in God's people. And these abide and continue with us. We may falter in them sometimes as we exercise these gifts, but we never utterly fail as to their being in principle. Faith may droop and have its wings. Our hope may not be so lively at times. And love sometimes may wax cold. But none of these, for the true child of God, can be lost. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you today as sinners. Sinners saved by your grace, but sinners nonetheless. And you've given us these these gifts, and you've given us these graces. And they abide in us. They, they exist in us. They live in us. They don't, they don't fade away. They don't pass away. They don't fail. They're steadfast. They're sure. All we need to do is abide in them. Teach us, Lord. Teach us to live by faith. Teach us to live in the hope that we have in Christ. And teach us to love as you've commanded us to do. So we thank you and we praise you for this, these things that you've done for us and given us. And we ask today that we would take them with us. And we would apply them to our lives and use them. That Christ might be seen in us. And that you might be glorified before all men. Thank you for this time now. We ask you bless in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.